Welcome to the Italian Football Podcast with John Solano, Carlo Garganese and Nima Tuvali. Hello everybody and welcome to the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese. So we are fast approaching Italy's Euro 2020 quarterfinal against Belgium. Massive match for the for the Azzurri in, in Munich. And and to help us preview the game, we, we are delighted to welcome onto the show my, my good friend Adriano Del Monte. Adrian is a presenter and, and journalist for, for a string of top media companies, ESPN, Super Sport TV, B in Sports, Optus, Sony Sport India and, and, and many others. And he has been covering Euro 2020 all around Europe and he's he's been at every Italy game. So so he's really uh, the perfect guy to, to talk about um, as Italy go into the into this quarterfinal. So so Adrian, th- thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I imagine you're you're you've just got off another aeroplane. So how are you? How, how are you doing, man? Carlo, great to join you. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing well. I I'm very tired. You've caught me at the perfect time because I do have a couple of days break uh, back in my home city of Milan. Really looking forward to to the quarterfinals. I have five matches to go to cover: two quarters, two semis, and the final. But look, it's been a, an incredible tournament. Obviously, I've been very fortunate to cover all of the Italy matches, but I've witnessed some all-time matches. I was at the France Switzerland game most recently in Bucharest, which I still can't believe what took place there. And I've been very lucky to see most of the top teams play. So quarterfinals upon us, still really anything can happen and very much looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come to that France game because that definitely was a was an all time classic. Um, but to to start off with, you you you've been to a lot of games as you said at the Euros, traveling from from city to city. Um, just to start with, I mean, can you just give us an insight of a of a day in the life of a of a Euro twenty twenty broadcaster and how it all works from from say the moment you wake up to to the end of your 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 day, the end of your TV broadcast. Absolutely can. Look, it, it's a it's a very strange time, obviously, with the COVID situation. I think in general, it was always going to be a different tournament, given the fact that it was this tournament played across multiple countries in Europe. But the COVID element has just added that extra layer of work. I mean, every country, every city, every stadium has different rules and regulations, which are constantly changing. So that is a job on top of the job. I mean, the the, the stuff that I do on camera, live to air from inside the stadium is the very last thing that I think about because there is so much that goes into actually physically getting there. So from the moment I wake up, it is a lot of that, organizing the logistics, planning what's required for me to do that day, ensuring that all my documentation is in place for UEFA, for any travel that's required. And then it's the job. At the moment, I'm I'm working for, you mentioned some of the networks that I work for, but Pretty much on a daily basis, I'm actively working for three networks here at the European Championship. So it's a it's a full day that consists of varying tasks dependent on what I'm rostered on for. But I cross into a few live shows every morning across Australia, India and, and Africa. And then it's a matter of making my way to the game and just fulfilling the various tasks 
that I have in place uh, with, with all of them as well. So look, there's a, there's certainly a lot that goes into it, but it has made it all the more rewarding. Eventually, getting there and being able to to witness all of these all of these great matches live. So so far, I think I've covered nine at the moment across six countries. So it's been a lot of travel, a lot of moving, but it has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it has been a lot of fun, and and being part of the media and, and getting the access that, that you've had. Mm. I mean, you will have seen a lot of stuff that that those of us watching on TV won't have behind the scenes kind of stuff. I mm. mean, are there any interesting stories that you can tell from from your Euros journey that that, that really stand out? Either those that involve Italy or mm. or from or from any of the games, really. Yeah, it is interesting. Look, it doesn't differ too much to, to I suppose, club football. I cover a lot of Champions League and, and what you get to see behind the scenes on that front. I think what instead of specific stories this time around, I think the, the element that has been equally as intriguing has been well, the, the travel and movement that I just discussed from a broadcast perspective. Similarly for the players in terms of protocols that they face in terms of to train, to play, to get into countries. It just adds another element for them to have to deal with and, and, the, and the, the nations as well in their movements. I've spoken to a, a lot of individuals involved with the national team of Italy and, and they've told me frequently how much time they've actually lost with regards to going through all of those measures, which obviously applies to everyone. So it's just another challenge for, you know, we have seen some incredible results so far at the European Championships, but it's just another element for them to have to contend with in what is a very difficult period. The other intriguing element for me, I covered, I did cover two Portugal matches, the Portugal-Germany clash and Portugal-France in the group stage. Nothing new because I've seen it with Juventus and previously with Real Madrid in the, <laughs> in the Champions League, but the hate that Cristiano Ronaldo receives off the pitch from those who aren't fans of him is something that must be seen. It is, <laughs> it is incredible. And every time I have seen him outside of the pitch, you can just tell that he channels that that dislike and he just lets it out on the field. And and I mean, it's everywhere you go. He's that sort of figure that people either love or loathe. And and those that don't like him so much, he just embraces it, brings it to the pitch, and consistently delivers. So an intriguing element that I've seen off the pitch for Portugal here at the Euros. Yeah, I'm sure quite a few messy chants as well. I <laughs> Non-stop. <laughs> yeah, we always get those. Um, and, and you've been to every Italy game, as you said. I mean, watching Italy live, because obviously it's different watching Italy live than when you watch on TV. I mean, I was at the Austria game on um, on Saturday when, when, when we met each other there. I mean, just how impressive have they been at Euro 2020? And, and what has impressed, what and who have impressed you the most? Mm. It, it has been very special to see this Italian team at this point in time. Obviously, look, one element for me that that stuck out even before the tournament was the fact that this Italian team were entering the European Championships off the back of the, the year that was with COVID, obviously globally, but the impact and devastation it caused here, I really feel has been something that the group that has well, unified the group in a way that they are really channeling that energy and the, the support and love and devotion from Italians in general has really now been translated onto the pitch. And that's what I've I've been inspired by watching them play live. It's, look, the, on paper, quite clearly, they don't have the same star power that, well, most of the big nations that have been eliminated had. But they have this energy, they have this they have this cohesiveness that they play with together that you can just see comes together. They love one another, they play for one another, they're, they're very proud to be there. And and that for me has all come from Roberto Mancini, who has instilled this new mentality, this new belief 
into the Azzurri, which, well, for, for the entirety of my life, I have not ever seen before in an Italian team. We have seen Italy teams so often in international tournaments just do enough to get out of a group or just do enough to win in 90 minutes, which I know sounds very strange to those who may not have covered or watched as much Italy as I have over time, but it has just been culturally what they do. They'll do enough when required and then they'll take care of the rest at, a latter, at, at the latter stages of the tournament. But that, that hunger and that desire, I think you can see it, and I'm sure you would have noticed it a lot more color watching it live as opposed to on, on television. Mm. The work rate off, off the ball, the, the passion from those who aren't even playing, those that are on the bench not even playing, those in the stands. It's, it's truly been inspiring. And I think with that will come an Italian team that will maximize their potential at the European Championships. And, and as a nation, that's all that we can ask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is definitely a togetherness there. And, and that is important in these tournaments. I mean, we've seen France. I mean, some of the stuff mm. that's going on with the France team. I mean, we'll get to France in a bit. Um, stuff with, with Rabiot's mum and, 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 <laughs> and Mbappe and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, and all this kind of stuff. And like lots of infighting. And then there's clearly issues in there within the squad. Maybe the same with Germany as well, with Thomas Muller and the coach. And, and you know, so I think definitely having a, that cohesiveness on and off the pitch is definitely going to take Italy a, a long way. But having said that, you know, we were together at that game on, on, on Saturday at Wembley. And I mean, it was a bit of an emotional rollercoaster. I mean, I was a bit worried for a while. I think we both were. We spoke at the end, didn't we, at 90 minutes. And we were like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen here? I mean, are you a little bit more pessimistic about Italy's chances, having watched them struggle in the second half? Or do you think that it could have the opposite effect of, you know, being that important game to come through adversity to, to push them on now? Yeah, it's such an interesting question, this one, though. Because obviously the 90-minute performance was not sold. There's there's no shying away from the fact that it wasn't a, a good performance. But I am on the opposite side. I think for this squad, which, well, in terms of international tournament experience, are still very inexperienced. They, they, haven't, they haven't been there before, obviously missing the 2018 World Cup. So a lot of these players, this is their first international tournament. I do feel that despite the fact that it was Austria, it wasn't a – a superpower opponent, but I do feel that the experience will hold them in better stead heading into the quarterfinals. I I mentioned in the pregame on the broadcaster I was working with there in the stands that one concern I have for Italy is despite all of the records and, and the fact that they hadn't conceded a goal for a record amount of time, the, the fact that Italy were not previously in a, in a troubled position. They didn't need to fight their way out of a difficult position. I was just a little concerned, well, how will they react to that? Because Italy still have not trailed in a match for now well over 24 hours. So mm. Italy have not been in a position where they've needed to fight, to come wow. from behind to get the result. And still, that is a, a small concern, I think, heading into the Belgium quarterfinal this Friday night. But overall, I think the fact that they, well, they went behind, then the goal was ruled out. They held on for a nil-nil draw, and then the fact that they were able to to get themselves together and score two goals in extra time, I think they can only grow and be better for that experience, despite the well, somewhat weak performance over the course of the ninety minutes. Hi, Adrian. <clears throat> it's Nima, and thank you again for joining us. Um, Pleasure, I wanted Nima. to I wanted to talk a little bit about Italy, Belgium. You've already touched on that, and you'll be at the game. 
Um, what are your sensations uh, ahead of this game? Um, do you think that Italy can beat the number one ranked team in the world, FIFA rankings? I personally not too fussed about FIFA rankings, but I know, <laughs> I know a lot of people are. But um, what are your thoughts? Well, let's start with that first, Nima, and yeah. thanks for having me again. But the the world rankings for me, I look this surely needs an overhaul. This system mm. because it, it's ridiculous. The the FIFA rankings, if you cast your mind back to the 2018 World Cup. Yes, Italy missed the World Cup, not making excuses, but at the time of the draw, Italy were a pot two team, and that's why they were drawn into the group with Spain. I think at that time we were maybe 17, 18 in the world. Mm. Pot one at that qualification had the likes of Romania and Wales in there. Now, if that's saying something, then I think it needs some work done. But in any case, that's my world Mm. rankings. (laughs) <laughs> and I think even the French were outside the top 20 at that time, despite being the having made the, the Euro final, obviously, pre- previously. But in any case, Friday evening, Italy-Belgium. Look, I think, I think Belgium are a very solid, solid team. There's no, there's no disputing that. They're a very, very good, strong country who have performed very well, as expected, thus far at the tournament. I haven't seen them live just yet, so this will be the first time I see them live. Obviously, some concerns over two stars in Hazard and De Bruyne, but this is not a team that historically have troubled Italy, nor is this a team that, well, from an Italian perspective, I have serious concerns about. I do think that Belgium will come in as favourites. Again, this is, well, I suppose this is potentially the end of this golden generation of Belgium. Can they finally win something? Well, time will tell, but I, I look. If I were to be brutally honest, I would have more concerns going into a potential semi-final against Spain, who are well, not, agree. Yeah. not the best Spain we've ever seen. But that's sort of how I'm feeling at this point, heading into the Belgium clash. Yeah, I, I, Carlo agrees with you on that. I'm, 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 I'm actually the opposite. I, for me, mm. the way the only team that's standing, the way I see it, the only team standing away of Italy going to the final is Belgium because mm. of their. They they have a physicality, um, and also like you said, the you know the the their golden age, uh, the golden generation. They're at the perfect age. This is the last chance, and so yeah. they've got the experience of previous competitions, which Italy don't have. Mm. Um, so, and also Lukaku. <laughs> yeah, well, look, that Lukaku, of course, but the the elements about Belgium that I think doesn't phase me as much as some of the others is the fact that Lukaku, even you want to throw Mertens in there as well. Mm. These are players that play in Serie A. Mm. So if anyone is going to understand the way that they play, then I am confident in the defence of Italy to to manage them as best as possible. But Lukaku is a serious problem. I think everyone knows that. It's unstoppable when he goes off on these runs. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so you've been to a lot of games at the Euros for all teams. Um, which teams yeah. and players have impressed you the most live? And would you mm. say that Italy have been the most impressive of all so far? Yeah, I think as a, as a team, as a unit, Italy for me have been the most impressive. And Carlo already touched on it, but some of the infighting in the other in the other nations that are now no longer that that is a key element. You need a, a tight group to go deep. You don't necessarily need eleven French stars on one pitch. That's not always going to be enough. In terms of specific players, though, I think many started to to come out and say that he was the best player of the tournament, perhaps won't win the award now, but I did cover two French matches and Pogba, this tournament was something oh, else. He, amazing. Yeah. He was, he, you watch Pogba live, you watch him play and you cannot physically comprehend the criticism that comes for this player when playing in the Premier League for Manchester United, because 
He, with, despite all of those stars around him, I suppose the Ballon d'Or favourite in Kante beside him, all of the attacking quality, Mbappe and co, Pogba just shone above them all. And he was he was a phenomenal player. The, the assist in the, was it the opening game, the assist for the own goal? It just everything, the goal he scored against Switzerland, I was right behind that, saw that live. It's That pass he did afterwards where he like, he volleyed it to the left-hand <laughs> yeah. side and that was, oh, that was incredible as well. Un- unbelievable. So purely from a, from an individual player perspective, Pogba for me was was the number one. I think watching Gorsens live, having covered him a lot in Serie A with Atalanta, again, a player who, or clearly Pogba, a bigger name globally, but Gorsens in such a talented German side, for him to shine and be one of those five Atalanta players who, who have scored and just really excel on, on the European stage. It was also very special to see, to see a player who, who plays in this, who plays in the small town of Bedgamo to, to do that on the biggest stage was, was truly inspiring as well. So I've, I've really enjoyed those two players and their performances, but they're no longer. So opportunities now for new players to come through. I mean, just picking up on that Atalanta point, um, no matter which country wins the Euros, Atalanta have won the Euros. Just look <laughs> at right. their players. I mean, from Malinovsky to Gosens to, 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 I mean, every single one, every single one of their players is just, it, they're really showing themselves. Mela, Mela's really, yeah, Mela, really yeah. come out. Because he impressed me at Atalanta when he came, but, you know, no yeah. one really mm. shone a light on him yeah, too Mela, much. Mela, and now they're going to buy Juan Musso as well. Yes. And, and I'm looking at their team and I'm thinking, you know what? In a, in a COVID uh, exactly. summer where the other Serie A teams are not going to be spending, Inter are going to be losing players, Juventus, mm. well, we see how much they can do. I mean, Atalanta could be a definitely more than an outside bet for the Scudetto. I, I am seriously sensing an Atalanta Scudetto this mm. season. We, 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 talk about, we talk about it at international level, but Atalanta, for me, are the best team. There, there is not a better mm. team at the moment, no, they don't have the star power that, that Juve and Inter and well, maybe Milan, but you know, Atalanta, the team, they, they are more than capable this season off the back of what they've already done the last three seasons. Agreed, yeah. 100%. And, and for me, with Musso, they, they, I mean, Musso and another, another central defender, they will have addressed those weaknesses that they have. Mm. And that, you know, if, if Gasparini can get it together and, and avoid these low, these, these poor starts to the season, then I think they'll be flying. I really yeah. think so. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you've been, uh, you, let's talk, you, you mentioned Pogba um, uh, and, 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 and that incredible game France-Switzerland on, on Monday, which was just, a, it was, a, it was you know, it was, you knew when you were watching that, that's an all-time classic going on. Um, um, what, what do you think, I mean, what was it like watching that game? And do you think France exit blows the tournament wide open? The game was incredible. It was played in Bucharest. It was my first ever visit to Bucharest, which is a, an incredible city in its own right. So I was lucky to spend a couple of days there. And you could sense that there were so many fans, the French-Swiss fans. You could really sense that it was a, a massive occasion for, for everyone in attendance. And the 90 minutes itself, well, who, who could ever have picked it? I mean, after the Swiss missed – Rodriguez missed the penalty and then Benzema goes down the other end and makes it 2-1 very quickly after it was the fact that it would finish three, three went to penalties. You just knew that you were witnessing history and it had that feel about it in the lead up during the match, after the match, it was a strange 10 PM kickoff. I didn't get home till about 3 AM that night had a 6 AM flight. So for me, that's going to be something that I'm never, ever going to forget. As for the tournament itself, well, clearly you've got the world champions that, that crash out surprisingly 
in a half of the well, in a quarter of the draw where they would have fancied themselves to to make the semis at least and see from there. It's it's a massive shock, an absolutely huge shock that now blows it wide open because well, Spain obviously the big winners because Spain were the team that well they very easily could have won their group very late. There was drama in their group which changed their fate, and for Spain now it's given them this massive opportunity. With all respect, of course, to Switzerland who just did eliminate France, but Spain have a golden opportunity to to now make a, a final four run. And well, given their improved performances, anything is possible. So it's just it's exciting. I think as well if you look at the other half of the draw. Obviously, England are heavily favoured to, to make the final there with the semis and final on home soil. But there could very well be a, a surprise finalist or two, just like in 2018, Croatia. It's it's good for football. And this is why I love international football. You don't have the problems that club football has these days with spending and money and transfers. Definitely. This is pure. It's genuine. And it's, it's great to see some new names in the final eight. Yeah, this is why I prefer international football a lot more than than club football because you can't you you can't cheat if you like you can't buy your you can't buy success you That's you right. know it's it's you can't just stockpile loads of talent and bully the smaller teams it's you know it's it's real real football you've got and who you've got and that's it exactly. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you'll be in Rome on Saturday to cover England against Ukraine, um, or what's left of Ukraine after the <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre we saw with <laughs> on display with a ball uh, yesterday in Glasgow. Um, I mean, you already alluded to it already. The draw does not look too bad. It's it's Ukraine, Czech Republic, and Denmark standing in the way of England, who will play mm. if they go through to the semi-final and final at Wembley. Is there anything standing in the way of England? Not only did you go into the final, but winning this. Well, the quarterfinal will be interesting because, of course, it will be the first time they play outside of England at this tournament. And it was the same concern for Italy against Austria in the round of 16. Austria on paper, if that match was played in Rome, you'd pencil Italy in for a quite comfortable victory. And I'm having the same feeling about this one. England, Ukraine... In Rome, I've seen the reports this morning that that the, the UK government have already said don't travel to, to fans. So the, the atmosphere could be very different in Italy for this English team. On the pitch, should they win in 90 minutes against a, a Ukraine side that came through a very difficult round of 16 match? Yes, I, I fancy that England should and will win this match. But I think they've they've proven Ukraine that they're very very tough team, and when they get going, they can be very hard to stop. I did cover them in Amsterdam against Netherlands. It, it was an incredible match. That one, the Netherlands went up by two goals to nil. Ukraine fought their way back into it. The Dutch eventually won it very late, but they can certainly mix and match it with the best. But I guess the, the question is, who will they have available, and how quickly will they recover? Because it was a grueling two-hour fixture against Sweden last night. So a few question marks there, but. I think the, the the element that could hinder England is perhaps the fact of playing outside of Wembley for for this fixture. Looking to the semi final, look, being honest, Denmark were a team that I had picked to make a semi final at the start of the tournament. I think the Ericsson factor now, well, maybe inspiring them to to do even more than anyone could ever have imagined. So I think Denmark are the team that if they are to make the semi, may trouble England, but it is at Wembley, and yeah. I mean. That is a massive advantage, particularly if they have as many fans in the stands as they are anticipating for the semis and the final. Then, well, beyond that, ask the England fans who will cause them the most issues potentially Belgium, Italy, Spain, Switzerland. 
again, at home, they'll definitely fancy their chances going into any match. Yeah, I think if the Dem- England Denmark semi final was played on on a neutral in a neutral venue, I yeah. actually think Denmark would have a good chance. I'm a really, I, I, I mean, I'm like you. I predicted them as they were my dark horses, mm. and I think they're a team. I think after Italy Correct. and maybe Spain, they play actually as a team, very cohesive unit. Um, mm-hmm. And they actually beat England at Wembley in the Nations League back in October. They did. They did. So I mean, yeah, it's the nation. It's only the Nations League, but I think yeah, the Wembley factor is massive. And I think that, I mean, I've been saying this to a lot of people, I think that's where this tournament's been a little bit unfair. Um, we saw Chris Gunter, the, the Wales, center, uh, Wales defender, complain about this. And he, I think he's absolutely right. that The way that this tournament's been organised, it's, you know, really favoured some teams like England playing yeah. their whole tournament, basically, at Wembley. And then you've got some teams like Wales, for example, who played two of their four fixtures in Baku, with yep. no fans, and then have it, then they would have been in Baku again for the quarterfinal if they'd have got through. And it's just like, it's kind of like, it's just not, and even Belgium, really. I think Belgium have played every single game away uh, and, you know, played in a group where two of the teams were playing most of their fixtures at home. And it's just kind of, it's just not, it's just been a weird way that it's been organised, I think. Um, and that's definitely favoured England. Um, okay, so just to finish off, um, so what is your prediction then for, for who will win the tournament? <laughs> We all know um, your heart. We all know your heart. We all know your hearts with Italy because I saw yeah. some of the, um, the. I saw the camera that, that that Optus had on you during the game, yeah. which was which was pretty well, hilarious. To be honest, I had no idea that. So obviously, I was very close to you in the stands. I was doing my my crosses pre match, halftime, and full time with Optus, and I had no idea that they had the camera running live into Australia during the match while I was living and breathing every minute of the match. So that was special to see. But yeah. look, certainly. Uh, look, I, I think I think just speaking about Italy for a second, I think when when Italy have faced adversity in previous tournaments, they very often come out on top. And there is that same feeling that I feel off the back of missing the World Cup in 2018, Mancini coming in, breaking all sorts of records, setting new records that never even existed, and then obviously <clears throat> the year that was with COVID, particularly here in the north of Italy, there is just something special in the air about this Italian national team at this point in time. But quite clearly in the difficult half of the draw, Belgium cannot be disrespected. Spain are just, well, they're, they're improving each and every game. And Switzerland just knocked out the world champion. So, look, who would I predict to come out of this half? I will say Italy. I, again, I just think from what I've seen, they are the best team. But flip a coin. I think on the other half of the draw, look, if they are ever going to make a final, England have to make this one. It is. You've just said it perfectly. They're never going. It's worked in their favour completely. Even the round of sixteen match that was initially not meant to be at Wembley was then moved to Wembley after Dublin lost their rights. So yeah. everything has fallen into. And Spain it. as well. They would have met Spain in Rome in the quarterfinal. Exactly. Which I would have favoured Spain in that to, in that game. To be honest, um, definitely, definitely. And uh, and then who was it? Um, there was a goal. Sweden scored in like the third minute of injury time. To, Correct. To, so to, it was to, to change that. Yeah. It was the 94th minute. Sweden scored the late winner in the group stage, which ultimately against Poland, which ultimately puts Sweden top. Spain finished second, which means Spain are now in this half of the draw. And if if that was the case, I'd be picking Spain to get obviously get out of that half of the draw and go all the way to the final. But in this case, I will predict that it will be quite incredibly an Italy-England final at Wembley and I'm wow. clearly only going to tip one nation to win that but I think it will be an incredible fixture if that does take place and uh, yeah I, I, look it's one game at a time but we'll see what happens <laughs> Italy-Belgium this week first up I've, I've got to go to Munich Friday night for that one 
Saturday I'll cover England and, and Ukraine. So I'll see both my potential finalists Friday and Saturday evening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that should be yeah should be very exciting. Um, well, thank you so much, Adrian, for for joining us and and for coming on the show. Um, I mean, I, I have tickets for the semi-final if Italy get there. So, yeah, I'm hoping that, yeah, we'll definitely see each other again and there'll be another positive outcome. Um, you can follow you can follow Adrian on, on Twitter at, at Adrian Del Monte, all in one, and, and on Instagram. Um, so, yeah, thanks again, um, Adrian. It was great to, great to have you on and getting all your insight uh, on the Euros. It was really, really fantastic. Carlo Neiman, my absolute pleasure. Any time and enjoy the rest of the tournament. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, Adrian. Pleasure. Mate. And thanks everyone for listening. We will see you again um, on on Friday after after the match for a post match reaction. Until then, ciao ciao.